Okay, so uh, what really requires improvement now, guys? I mean, <laughs> there's a, a quite a plethora of options, I think, <laughs> to choose from right now. Um, Lee? Well, I've already used the catchphrase, it's not going very well, is it, in a previous episode? So um, I think I need to think, think of some fresh material. Uh, but we've um, been scouring uh, the net for, you know, the, the, the internet, the 90s version of, you know. Uh, we've, been, we've been scouring that for just the, so to try and get a, a steer on the current uh, deteriorating situation as far as coronavirus and its um, close proximity to, uh, well, the education system in the UK. Um our eye was drawn to a, an article that uh, pointed out uh, leaked procedural documents from the NHS, or rather, Circo privatized track and trace <laughs> system. Um, they are chopping out, um, or rather, they're deleting data entries or uh, advising track and trace teams not to act upon uh, confirmed positive singular instances of, you know, people getting coronavirus in education settings. They're waiting until uh, there's a confirmed outbreak, two or more cases before, uh, you know, the county steps in or there's any kind of um, centralised action on these new infections. And um, then you zoom out into the big picture and, um, yeah, those graphs are kind of freaking me out, guys. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a bit... Um, when you think about the conditions that had most of the nation hold up indoors for a a good two and a half months um we're kind of blowing that ceiling now and um i i haven't seen the total latest figures for a number of schools um that are currently showing infections but you know about three or four weeks into this term so we are talking sort of the end of september um, you've got 5% of schools nationally reporting COVID cases. Uh, we know with the state of the track and trace, that's probably an obscene underreport. Um, we know about the exponential R rate that's just taking hold across vast swathes of this country. Um, as far as my school goes, I think we've been really lucky. We've only had one confirmed case and there was no apparent uh, on-site, you know, case person-to-person transmission. Um, but there's a growing sense that it's a matter of uh, when, not if. Um, well, uh, I've already had a... I'm working... My current school's already had a year off um, for a week and a half. So already kind of we're feeling the um, end of it, really. Well, not the end of it, but like the, the arse end of it, to, to be honest. Um, and then you've got to sort of do all things of like, well, we've got a year group off, so we have to make sure that we've then got work for them to do at home which adds a lot of pressure on teachers. And I do think that we're feeling it at the moment. 
and not to mention that attendance drives still seems to be happening at many schools, which is actually shameful right now, because of course people are going to be off. Like it's we're in a pandemic, and I do really wish that um, some SLT members would maybe remember that we are currently living in a pandemic and that you can't expect to see the same level of whatever you think you wanted to see last year, like the same num- you know, amount of bookmarking, hmm. the same amount of homework checking, the same amount of data entry. Yeah, I, I was talking to some teachers that were friends of mine yesterday, actually, both of them at different schools from each other and, and from me now, um, but they were saying that there's so much work to do, there's so much on, that they've literally kind of forgotten that coronavirus is even a thing yeah, anymore. Absolutely. Partly because they just they spend you know all their waking um, work day in the school, and you know they're just catching up on the weekend and occasionally being able to see someone and then that be that like go to a pub or whatever with a couple of people like that's all they've got even got the energy for. Um, and it's very hard to feel like it's real when you don't have the time to check the news or, or you know, you know it'll just depress you too much. Um, if you shut yourself out enough, the schools are not making it felt. Like, there's different um, feelings in different schools. I've, I've been to a few schools already. Um, but I can definitely believe how both of um, these friends of mine have just don't feel like COVID is, uh, exists inside their walls because, yeah, it's just it's the elephant in the room that it's it's too... It's too much to discuss. They've got there's too much else on with with yeah all these unnecessary assessments. You just made to feel like everything is supposed to be how it was. Like we have you know the amount of admin tasks I've had thrown at me last minute since I've gone back is unreasonable. To be honest, it's completely unreasonable. Like no one can manage this and teach a full timetable and be you know enthusiastic and relatively together and you know level headed and. For the kids, that's what you want. You want to be in your room, do your thing, teach good lessons, make the kids feel really appreciated and wanted and, like, we're happy you're back and kind of let's... We can do this, you know, build their confidence back up. You know, make sure that they're happy. They're well-fed <laughs> in many cases. And it just feels like that is sort of going to the wayside because teachers literally are on their knees and cannot just haven't got the energy like everyone's just so tired and you cannot make people be at their best when they're tired it's that simple yeah i mean just to personally relate to that 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 experience um previous week i went down with um what was you know clearly a stomach bug but you start googling web md and you start doing the deep <laughs> dives that. on corona symptoms you start weighing up the odds what percent <laughs> what percentage of cases am i um i will uh, begrudgingly acknowledge um although the extent to which i was given preferential treatment as a frontline worker in education it remains to be seen i was able to get a test within 24 hours providing i was able to drive and owned the car and I got the results within 24 hours so you know it was a relief to know that I didn't have corona and they didn't have to send 900 kids and 40 members of staff home I mean it probably would have shut my school had that test come back positive but um that was not a pleasant 48 hours because I was both ill and completely freaking out and cursing the day I became a teacher um and just you know relieved as I am to not have corona and be better now um 
basically uh, the, the, the extent to which my workload has just taken a slide in the sense that I was just about keeping all the spinning plates in the air and it only takes t- a couple of days of being incapacitated for illness and then the, the, the stress of the job and meeting expectations on all fronts just um, really gets on top of you and it's no wonder that we're all bloody tired. Yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. On on the note of the, the track and trace, it's interesting that there's been that leak about... Um, schools not being reported on if if the outbreak appears to like start there um so you're not getting the the feedback if you've been in the same um setting if, if in that school as well as someone who's got a case and i sort of was already thinking about that and it's interesting you know whether it's true or not but it looks likely um because i was only asked to download the app in in one school i've been to so far but it has occurred to me very much apart from the fact that apparently drained your battery completely i was wondering <laughs> about if I'm in a school, and even if I've worn a mask, like some schools do ask you to do, um, from the moment I entered the door to the moment I got to my classroom, if my phone is on um, and I'm next to another class that's in a different bubble, um, but the the teacher in there um, was to, or, or any of the students, like, was to give them... I mean, basically, the students don't have phones, but most... Apart from the odd year six... But that probably don't have the app. Um, if the teacher in the room or a TA with their phone was to get a notification or, or come down with um, symptoms themselves, that then I might get a notification that I need to isolate on that basis. Even if I've literally, like in a, like as well as can possibly expected, have have been separate to them in a similar way that if you walk in a in a shop that's adjacent to another shop, would you would you get notifications? This is all assuming that notifications happen in a successful <laughs> yeah. way in the first place. <laughs> but it was something I thought about. Like, what if I am I'm given a text that I need to isolate, even though I haven't actually been in any contact with this person, but I then can't work for two weeks even if I'm fine. Um, and it would be completely illegal for me to do so under circumstances. So fair enough, but it just seems to me that other countries aren't reporting this problem. They aren't having to do measures, potentially, or even consider measures like, um, yeah, not have schools be sites for reporting because I think their apps work and are much less expensive. That, that's as far as I could see it. I don't know that yeah. for sure i just have not heard a word from a single country that that's something they have to think about but it's, you just think that i know that i've had a year group out so basically without testing we really have no idea how what percentage of the people walking around the school that are working have yeah. coronavirus yeah like basically that is it and we know full well that young people are way more likely to be asymptomatic so therefore we know we've had one confirmed case from a child who had symptoms. So one person that actually, like, had symptoms means that we still have no idea because the amount of people around this child who would have no symptoms and the amount that could have spread, like, you just don't know. Mm. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's so simple. I think it's important that we explicitly address that um, the solutions to keeping schools safe are not, like, some mystical unknown uh, it's a question of uh, structures, it's a question of resources, and it's a question of political will. Um, if you ran the schools at half capacity, you could get somewhere close to a normal provision of education, but half the time, kids aren't going to be there. 
So, you know, blended learning is clearly the way forward. I mean, a lot of the edicts that are coming out of the DfE and senior management at the moment seem to be around preparedness for the inevitable, which is that schools are going to have to shut for a time, whether it's, you know, I think there's still smart money on there being an extended half term because, you know, given the lag time of these COVID numbers, uh, the hospitals are going to fit up soon. So if lockdown was justified back in March, it's going to be justified again. And I don't want that, but... I don't see how they've left us any other choice. <laughs> they haven't. That's it. That's it. Like we we have no choice. Like lockdown number two is almost inevitable. You know, it's it's there, and they can kind of try and deny it and just keep thinking short term as much as possible and hope that oh, if we tweak this little thing, just make this one tiny thing a little bit different, that it will somehow change change next week's numbers. No. Well, it's certainly that's what's lended this term um, a sense of. Um, it's this idea that they were just going to see what was possible, give it a whirl yeah. with reopening the yeah. schools, you know, and be be pleasantly supply, surprised if, if the schools stay open or nobody dies. Um, it's, again, it's only a matter of time until some of those considerations. Um, uh, but um, so, you know, if if the government was prepared to, it could run schools on a half full basis. Um, it would be safer. You would be helping control the spread, but they're not willing to do that. Um, it kind of falls to, I'm afraid, the teachers themselves, the educators, the teaching assistants, the support staff. Um, I think we need to turn to each other, both for support and for the political solutions. Obviously, it's easy for, for me to say, uh, I, I, as I said earlier in the episode, I am barely meeting expectations currently. If I'm getting up and actually just going to work, I think there is a, a there is a resistance in survival currently. Um, and if we could just get through this winter, then maybe people would have ha- had such a time of it that they start to realise that, yeah, you need to get involved in your union and fight to protect what we have and get the safe conditions we deserve and the students. So, Yeah. And uh, I'm just going to ask you to... Has any of either of you found it really difficult, like increasingly difficult to get out of bed in the morning? Oh, yeah. Like, as in this week, you've all of a sudden hit that wall and it's just like the alarm goes off and you're just lying there and you're like, not today. I, I, had, a sh- I had a shameful first on Thursday. I actually fell asleep during a Zoom call with, uh, wow. with uh, my fellow regional <laughs> union officers. They, it, was, it was not that they were boring me. My body was just like... Power down now. You have no more energy. It is five in the afternoon. Christ. Yeah. Update. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah, I'd probably say it's been a bit of a challenge uh, waking up sometimes. But I've just had to set the alarm even earlier to make sure I've got the time <laughs> to be slow. That's all my only solution, which doesn't really feel very good to get less sleep. But uh, yeah. so that is that is our teaching life right now. Great. Okay, so that's your requires improvement, Lee. Um, so mine is all centred around the exams. Those things that are still happening only three weeks later. Um, and that's pretty much the main difference. Oh, well, wait, sorry. The other difference is that they have to now sit mock exams. And they're going to be in November, so really soon. Um, so they've got about four weeks notice. And they're not just going to be your standard at school mock exams set by the teachers who know what content they've taught and how much of it they've taught. So therefore, we're going to make sure that they're tested on that, you know, fairly. Oh, no, 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 we're not going to do that now. So what we're going to do 
is the exam boards are going to make basically exam papers and it's going to be done under full exam conditions with invigilators, the whole shebang. Uh, yeah, so I understand in one way, and I know the argument that people are going to try and sort of put forward for, you know, pro this, which is, well, we have no data really because, you know, they left six months, you know, we had the whole six month break, lockdown, COVID. Yay. Um, but so therefore we need the upstate data. So when, you know, the inevitable lockdown happens, we have a pool of data to draw from, therefore teacher can make rigorous assessments of students' progress. Okay, fine. I get I get the argument. Um, but what I don't get is if we are gonna do this kind of mock exam thing, why why November? But I mean Personally, I think that the whole thing is horrible. They're going to be stressed. You're literally telling them you've got four weeks. This is going to decide, you know, your GCSEs. And that's how they're going to see it. Even if we say, well, you know, the real exams might happen, like three weeks later, um, hopefully with minimal disruption between now and then. Um, But essentially, they're going to take from that that this is it, this matters. And they're going to either do one of two things. They're going to go, right, knuckle down. Or they're just gonna go sort it like I literally have no hope. So it was a friggin' point. Like was f- fuck this. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I do worry that I have students that well, most of my students fall into that camp because it's been six months. They're disadvantaged and they have done nothing in lockdown. So we're gonna do that to them. Not to mention the fact that I've already been told that I have a very limited time to teach a vast amount of content. And now you're saying that I can't. Normally, you'd focus on revision before the exams, but I can't do that now because they're going to have this mock that's been tested on the things that they've already done. So therefore, where's the time now to teach you new stuff? You're literally taking time out of my timetable that I need to teach them the things that Mm. will be tested at the end of the year 11. So the whole thing is just really stressful for the kids. Mm. And I'm really, really upset. I'm really fucked off for them, to be honest, because... It's a really disgraceful way to treat them. They've been through enough. Um, And I just think this should have been known and planned and ready to go before we even went back. The fact that we're sat here in like mid-October, like finally having any kind of pseudo clarity of what's going on. It's just, yeah, it's it's just shit, to be honest. Like... It's as shit as I would expect from our present government, to be honest. And again, we're, we're dealing with this bizarre time delay where seemingly sen- more sensible decisions are made uh, for Wales and Scotland in regards to the safety of their schools and the nature of their exam system. Uh, it has come out this week that the Scottish equivalent of the GCSEs, possibly the A-levels as well, I'm not actually too familiar with how that works but the scottish national five which is their equivalent of of the main qualification that secondary school children head towards that has been replaced with coursework and teacher assessment that decision has already been taken why is there seemingly a business as usual approach from the department for education in england um interestingly uh a um rather, well, seemingly influential group within the Tory party, the One Nation uh, Caucus of the Conservative Party, um, they published a a new um, Future of Education paper this week, and it reflects a change in opinion of at least one section of the Tory party, whereby they are also considering replacing GCSEs and having a more baccalaureate-style system at the end of A-level. 
Um, if they're going to make a decision, it, well, it'll probably be the wrong one, but um, could they hurry up? Because at the moment, you know, uh, <laughs> exactly. you know we've got a bonus round, of mock, bonus round of mocks in my school, seemingly expertly timed to just chip away at the kids' morale. Um, it brings to mind the, the old cliche adage, you uh, do not fatten a pig by measuring it. So, yeah. you know, to be timing a review of their knowledge after they've just missed five months of it yeah. seems a bit cruel at the juncture. Right. So, I mean, I don't know what we can do to solve that, really. Um, it's very hard to know exactly, you know, apart from campaigning and making sure that you're, you know, getting, having regular union meetings, making your voice heard, doing all the things that you can do. Yeah, because these, these mock exams contribute to workload and that is something you, this, this bread and butter yeah. of industrial relations. If people are flagging, then I think a, a pushback needs to be made. Precisely. Definitely, right. Shall I do my one? Yeah. So, uh, my requires improvement today has been already a little bit touched on by things we've said before, but it basically is that the workload of staff is causing so much uh, mental health issues for people. And I've been to a few schools now and I've seen that repeated, as well as um, catching up with friends um, who are teachers and educators as well. It Yeah, I've heard some really shocking things um one staff member at a school i worked at um who i had known previously because i've worked in that school for a few years and i used to cover her class so she kind of opened up to me even after like you know only seeing her um very briefly about the fact that she feels completely ineffective in her teaching like this is a teacher who clearly you could just tell the way about her like, teaching her class knowing the behaviors that were clearly evident like sort of the way the children were and yet how she clearly managed them and made them feel so comfortable like we're talking about top-notch teacher here and yeah. and you know given her age i'd say she's been doing it for a long time um and yes she's feeling ineffective like how is it that somebody who yeah again has been at her school for so long can feel that ineffective for that like that quickly like there's not even been um a great deal of out like positive outbreaks i don't know if there's any positive cases in that school but they've how people have to go away, and um, that's why I was there, um, waiting on a test, even though they were negative in the end. So there is that slight impact, but what the real the real thing is, is just that the children are feeling more anxious, I think. The, the whole upheaval of the last six months is um, affecting them, affecting the, the educators, and, and she just felt lost. Um, and that was really wild for me to see, to see someone who was previously so appeared to me to be one of the strongest teachers I've met along the way. Um, other strange thing, yeah, hearing from another friend who said that uh, they went to the dentist recently and was sort of chatting with them about what it's like in schools. And the dentist, you know, someone who knows the value of PPE, um, being completely shocked like and dumbfounded by like how schools don't have PPE for the, for the teachers and yeah for the, for the TAs and for everyone like obviously some schools have a little bit but what this dentist was hearing like surprised them even though we, we sort of think as educators that it's in the news it's clearly not getting no, there no like hitting home um, and when they hear it from a person you know from a, uh, a client or whatever a patient they're shocked they're really shocked that it's that real and that's just yeah something that that's um, interested me um, yeah, a lot of people saying that the workload is completely unsustainable. I think we've talked about that a little bit already. 
And yeah, although, yeah, linked to the rest, the behaviour that I've seen in class, as opposed to like what I've heard from other people, classes and children and groups like that previously, their sort of schools assumed that, you know, it was all uh, hunky-dory and kept ticking over without much need for really like rigorous behaviour systems. Like obviously there's some behaviour systems that are just terrible, you know, sounds like most secondary schools. But, <laughs> um, but I think behaviour systems do have to somewhat reflect the sort of situation in the schools that you don't want huge penalties really ever, but you definitely don't want them in schools where there's, yeah, certain types of behaviour, like the sort of frequency that the children do it. Uh, behaviour system has to respond to that. But so with this change, this shift towards worse behaviour, I think I predicted this. <laughs> I think we all did. Um, but it's meant that yeah. the schools are not prepared for what's going on whatever their level is in that, in that school. So I think actually schools that where the behaviour was generally worse have coped the best because they were ready. And it's like mm. the shift is as, that is minimal. But I'm seeing in some schools where generally they've had just an easy life with behaviour, suddenly getting a bit of a shock. Um, so I know that's a sort of a, a litany of requirements. That's really this, interesting. Those, that's what I've seen. That's my sort of most report as opposed to it requires improvement on it all requires improvement but on what's happened yeah yeah because the whole i suppose i don't realize because i worked in schools where behaviors tend to always need man like needed to be managed because you know the areas at the school I've, i teach i've been so yeah it's interesting isn't it? to think that the schools that have not had to worry about it now have suddenly re- like kind of got a dose of yeah. children without regulating like, early early because I was seeing um, just children who were completely f- like flipping out um, at the very minimal like sort of change to their routine mm. um, pulling things off walls and something like getting into the spaces and then uh, one boy even got like really extreme violence that was um, t- happened at lunchtime and like gave a, a girl in the class a black eye I think you know it was forming within half an hour like mm. um pretty badly on her face and i just think yeah i know that that sort of thing does happen but i think it was quite unusual for that school mm. and i think i think it kind of sh- it shook me a bit to see that like seen i've seen things like that before but like that was seemed like it's been a while since i've seen that yeah i mean i, I think this links to what um you know, we were saying on the live stream about the, the perverse incentives that the system has created. You know, schools can be punished for doing the right thing, and some some senior management and head teachers are looking to steal a march. They're looking to gain an advantage out of the situation, whether it's cost cutting, whether it's getting rid of things that they never really liked to do in the first place. You know, there's a lot of uh, reform that's, uh, shall we say, dubious in its justification under the you know the current conditions, and staff are paying the price and kids are paying the price. Um, it's important that we're not too down about this even though you know if you log on to the news it will get you down at the moment um you know your well-being as a member of staff is a union matter the condition that the children's learning is a union matter you know even in a recent email i received i was told that you know the fact that um in our school uh there is very little pe going on and it's really stressing out the pe teachers it's really stressing out the kids i was told that you know i I heard of a, a member of staff being told that that was not a union matter and uh, you know, I just want to re- just re- remind everyone that uh, a union is a professional association. 
it's union business is what the union says it is, uh, and and that's that's you know down down to you know us as members. It's the union is not again we keep parroting this line, but the union is not some third party to which no. we turn. It's it's the terms on which we decide to fight for fight for the working conditions we want. So yeah, because you have to like get involved and just understand that the only way that you are able to make any real change is collectively it's that simple yeah and it's, it's you and know, just get together get yeah. together have a meeting Start figure out who meetings. the union rep is remember you can talk to your branch see if they can get you some donuts yeah there's clear exactly <laughs> donuts and, 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 and clear, <laughs> esca- clear escalation procedures you make a reasonable demand of management you yeah. make you make them say why they're not do going to do what you want them to do and you decide your response you know in, in response to that again ideally you want some support from the branch or the district yeah. to, to take some of that heat off you but it's a question of who's willing to sign that letter who's willing to put their hand up in a room or on a zoom call uh, and to refuse to do as you're told or demand that you you won't do X until you get Y. Um, management are quite vulnerable to that if, if you can get the numbers. And I, I guess we should say as sort of a positive that we have heard of, of comrades who've had outbreaks in their schools and um, the reps following through with um, the recommendations of the union, which is to get um, petitions out, signed by all staff members and, and things like that, and made sure that they... We're negotiating with with senior leadership in the most efficient, but also yeah, direct, direct way, yeah, and effective way, yeah, yeah. And like you know, it, it ch- change change isn't one through one singular act. You know, the petition's part of a process, or whatever you do next is part of a process. Um, and sometimes it's about letting things, or rather, watching things get to a critical point before you can really activate people and, and make them see the possibilities. But, you know, I, I, both in my day job and in my role for the, the, the union, I'm keeping an eye out for those opportunities because staff have been mistreated during lockdown in some cases. You know, th- homeworking was not managed well. And, uh, you know, I still love my job, but it's become harder than ever. And I think, yeah, we need to make sure that those members that feel that way are getting their voices heard. Absolutely, and ultimately, our main focus, in my opinion, should be the kids' well-being and their actual. You're back at school. You feel safe. We care. We give a toss. We give a fuck. Like we're here, and let's just make you happy to be learning again. And let's not stress the hell out of them. Like, can we just remember that we are still in the middle of a pandemic? And we still need to act like we are. Please. <laughs> SLT. So I think it's probably worth me explaining uh, this following segment of our podcast. Um, we, uh, well, in addition to all the great news about COVID, um, uh, the Department for Education <laughs> still, fa- still found time over the last weekend to publish uh, some extraordinary uh, new guidance for PSHE lessons. That is a personal, social and health education, the sort of pastoral tutorial curriculum that has bits of it that are, <laughs> bits of it that are statutory. I mean, they've only just made it the law to teach about sex and relationships education. But they decided to throw some disturbing bits of, uh, you know, um, 
state propaganda in there and that they're basically uh, foreclosing. Well, we go into it better in the interview, but it's, a, it's about the new parts of the guidance that speci- specifically prohibit the use of material or speakers from organizations that hold anti-capitalist views. So we found um, a fellow educator on Twitter who uh, knows lots about these sort of things and has some good takes. And uh, we've invited uh, them on to have a little chat about their tweets that did the numbers and really unpack this argument about the role that, the, you know, to what extent the DfE can or wants to quite literally foreclose different perspectives within schools to prescribe organizations, materials, messages, and indeed, you know, anything done in their name. It's all, it's all a bit big brother. It's all a bit... That's sh- not section 28. It's just, it's just a little, little... Do little, you smell it? Section 28? Exactly. The, yeah. little, the little garnish on your COVID salad mm. uh, for this episode. Basically, I'm, without further ado, I'm going to roll the tape of our interview with at Tetrapod from Twitter. I hope you enjoy. Uh, hi there. Uh, we're here with a uh, fellow teacher uh and fellow twitter person um but they're they're much better at twitter than we are uh called uh tetrapods um who uh we invited into the podcast to talk because we think they've had the most insightful um bit of commentary and analysis on the new government um pshe uh guidelines so um can you just um start us off uh tetrapod by just kind of introducing yourself a little bit and and what you do and like how uh you know how it is you became so incredibly famous <laughs> um yeah so i'm a teacher um i teach in an sen school um i teach key stage three students and i've always like ever since i started being a teacher i've had kind of this split i'm which i'm sure you all know about where like you've got your acceptable normie teacher identity that you can take to the staff room and then like the stuff you yell on Twitter um, and this, like, my tweet about the, um, the the tweet that came to your attention and the reason you're talking to me was kind of one of my, like, screaming into the void Twitter moments. Um, and it just happened to be about the very thing that I just talked about, the, the split in teacher's identity where we're not allowed to bring anything remotely radical to the classroom, um, which is something I'm quite interested in. Yeah. Um can you tell us the the kind of timeline of, of of what happened there, just so that we can like try and imitate it and get a lot more followers? Like, <laughs> I don't really know. I think it's something about Twitter. I think the guidance came out on the twenty fourth of September, I think, and then I'd kind of seen a couple of murmurs about it. I'd seen um, a couple of my like normie education policy followers talking about it. Um, and then a few more radical people talking about it, like uh, Harry Josie Giles. Um, and then I, yeah, I just did a kind of thread reacting in real time to what was going on. And um, it was like, I spend a lot of time yelling about the state of education to the rest of left Twitter and no one ever really picks it up. But this sort of struck a chord with people and I kind of felt a bit like I've been yelling about this for ages and now you see how bad it is. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, so your tweet got picked up by, by Owen Jones. That That's good, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I guess so. Like, uh, uh, Owen Jones used, Owen Jones stole my screenshot or he didn't, he didn't steal it. Um, somebody WhatsApped him, WhatsApped it to him apparently. Um, it was, uh, Harry Josie Giles also had a thread about this. It was a really good insight into how like left content gets generated on Twitter because 
this stuff just gets taken out of context and then sent around in journalist WhatsApps and then turned into a Guardian article in the kind of production line. Um, And it was something I noticed that kind of... um, A lot of what was in my thread was about how this guidance seems to have been really specifically written to target organisations like Black Lives Matter. That was what immediately jumped out to me. Um, But by the time it made it to The Guardian, mysteriously, um, the focus was not on that at all and the focus was on anti-capitalism without mention of anti-racism and without mention of um, trans organisations and things like that. Okay, cool. So um, perhaps you could, for anyone who's kind of, for whatever reason, not not really picked up on this story. Um, do you want to like start from the top? So like, you know, what 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 is this new government guidance? How does it fit in um, to start with? And then we'll talk about why it's so so scary. Yeah, I've done all of this in a really silly order, haven't I? By starting off talking about Twitter beefs. <laughs> That's my fault for asking the questions like that. Don't worry, we're not we're not real journalists. Um, me neither. We've all taught a full. I've taught a full day. Lot we you know we we have jobs as well as the journalism, so that's fine. It's true. Um, so uh, yeah, so earlier in the year, it was announced that the government um is going to make PSHE and specifically relationships and sex education mandatory um, and it hadn't been mandatory before most people had done it but it hadn't been mandatory and this was celebrated as a kind of progressive victory which you can understand why because you know you want kids to be generally informed about what healthy sex and relationships looks like um, and my personal theory is that the government couldn't really cope with the idea that this um might actually make young people better informed about things and have more control of their lives and kind of had to bring in some fascism just to calm themselves down a bit but um as a treat yeah exactly as a treat um so the guidance is mostly very boring it's mostly um you know kind of lists of uh sex organs that you can teach in year seven and then year eight and year nine and you know it's, it's quite boring but there were these really weird passages um specifically about what kind of external agencies and speakers you can get um to teach pshe um, and some of the so the there were two main bits that really um, caused a lot of concern. Um, the the first was about external agencies and speakers, um, and it said that you shouldn't get any external agencies or speakers from agencies which hold extremist views. And then it listed what an extremist view is, um, and that's really interesting because it hasn't done that before. Um, if you look at a lot of the prevent legislation, it's so ridiculously vague because clearly what they want to do is target Muslims, but they can't say that. So when they say extremism, they're just really, really wishy-washy about it. Um, But this wasn't wishy-washy. This was really specific. Um, And it said that um, an extremist view is wanting to overthrow democracy, capitalism, or free and fair elections. Um, And this obviously got picked up um, because, you know, overthrowing capitalism isn't the same as wanting to overthrow democracy. Um... And then the but the other thing um, that was really worrying, and I think has been less picked up on, um, was an organisation is also categorised as extremist if it fails to condemn any crimes done in its name, and it specifies that crimes done in its name can be violence against people or property. Um, so what that means is that if somebody you know spray paints Black Lives Matter on a wall, 
that's an illegal act of violence against property if like the top people at black lives matter don't then immediately say we condemn this act of spray painting that puts the that puts the whole organization on a blacklist where anyone from that organization can't be interviewed in schools um so to me it it feels really really obvious that this is designed to target movements that are non-hierarchically organized movements that use civil disobedience movements that use um methods like tearing down statues for example um it seems extremely obvious to me that that's that's the intent of what they're doing uh, climate strikers as well yeah absolutely i think that would definitely apply too because you know standing in the middle of a road walking out of school anything like that there was another line about um you don't even have to do anything illegal if you just have disregard for english law then <laughs> um, then you also fall under this which again like that that's civil disobedience that's you know you you, you don't even have to be breaking the law you just have to like not love the law or something i don't really know i feel like politicians would um would therefore not be able to produce any material for pshe really because they have quite a disregard for english law don't know when it when it suits them yeah exactly yeah well i actually got a load of um when my tweet kind of did numbers i got loads of um FBPE people in my mentions going well they don't care about international law do they this is about silencing Brexit discussion I was just like no that's not no I don't think that's what's happening well, that's, um, that's how is it estimate of a tried to to push it further so she, isn't that wasn't that in the independent it was an interview where she was saying that's what this law was about like they had a couple of days of press that. where they were like yeah no she was kind of saying it's like oh we've got an issue because we've got these like uh, Ramona teachers who are <laughs> teaching in white working class areas and are tricking all these kids into going back in time and then being older and then voting for a thing that's already passed. You know, it was, it was, it was pretty silly. That's really yeah. funny if they think that that's the furthest left threat they got to worry about. I feel quite oh, reassured yeah. by that. Um. Um, so I guess um, the, the thing about it is it, it very quickly... Um, people started going, oh, what, you're going to get rid of all the Bibles in the schools? I mean, me as well. Like, that's the kind of first thing I, I, I was sort of thinking, like all these resources, all these people uh, in history that you now can't talk about, apparently, all these kind of things in history, um, suffragettes, uh, Malcolm X, Gandhi, like all, all these kind of things that now are kind of gone. But I really liked your analysis because it was more, it was more insightful than that. Uh, you, you picked up on the common threads that people were saying about it and you, you kind of uh you sort of hone down on where this is dangerous and where it isn't yet uh, do, do you mind going into that a bit yeah well i had to go through all of the quote tweets because from my thread because some of them were from actual fascists going yay this is great so i had to really carefully read all of the quote <laughs> tweets so i could block the fascists and in doing so um i saw a lot of um as you say i saw a lot of the ways people responding to it um and i think that i can understand why people responded like that but i think it's important to get it right and to get what <clears> we're <throat> worried about right and so yeah lots of people were saying oh you won't be able to teach about martin luther king you won't be able to teach about the montgomery bus boycott all of these things um and that's not the case this doesn't apply to history um 
it's arguably not even statutory it's ambiguous and like i know people who are looking into it at the moment but it's arguably not even a law um but the pro what it does mean is that if for example martin luther king were around today and we're on a tour of the uk you couldn't invite him into a school to give a talk that's the difference is that you, it's not about teaching historical material and it's not about banning any resources um that hint at this it's about specifically ban it or claiming to ban these organizations um and it's about creating a threat that doesn't really exist um because the last thing i heard um you know Black Lives Matter activists were not actually queuing up to go into schools and deliver sex education. Um, I mean, maybe, and I'd be up to up for it if they wanted to, but um, it's not a thing that's a real problem. Um, but it's kind of creating this idea that, um, as you say, there's these kind of loony left teachers who are going to come in and make all of your kids trans by talking about anti-racism. Um, I've been trying pretty hard to do that since the start of my career, but I've not had that much success. Yeah, so. I know it is one of my um, one of my performance review goals to achieve that yeah. um, <laughs> with all of my students. But um, yeah, it's it, it's just it creates this like terrifying spectre, um, and it's it's very like I don't know. Obviously, like we've all been thinking a lot about fascism lately, I guess. But I've just been thinking about this um, conflating the you know racialized other with uh forms of sexual deviancy is just textbook <clears throat> fascism right it's that you know they're going to come in and pervert all of our nice white children um and that, that's like that is i think the most worrying part because it's not that it's not that anyone's going to get arrested tomorrow for giving out leaflets it's not that it's that this is signaling something this is signaling to the people who want this um, it's it's creating an environment where teachers will police themselves. Yeah, I think the, the uh, there's a point um, I've made by you or someone else. It was just like SLT already don't want to do anything risky like this. Uh, yeah. and, in, and in my school, the assemblies are pretty pretty weak these days. They're not really about topical issues. It's all just like the next data target and all this kind of stuff like the kind of the soul's been taken out of the, the assemblies in that way um yeah. and we have to we, as a union group we push quite hard to try and get some kind of recognition about greta coming to bristol mm-hmm. um or like climate days of action and things like that and um yeah they don't really care and actually this will give them the the cowardice that they need to completely ignore dealing with anything like this so anytime a, a black students group raises this issue or says can we go to, to black lives matter i can see srt pointing to this guidance and going oh, not allowed can't can't let you do it i really appreciate that you know racism is bad but the law says i can't support you in this and the same with the climate stuff i feel like it just gives them what they what they need to get out of any of these kind of uh, difficult topics um, but the other thing you were saying i thought was good is about um the right-wing pundits want show trials they want this kind of uh they want a teacher to be sacked Mm-hmm. Uh, or, they, or they want a teacher to try and not be sacked. They want parents, they want kids to grass on the teachers to their parents and they want the parents to kind of be outside the school doing some protest kind of thing, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. And it, they, they want, you know, teachers to be doxxed and harassed and all of the things. I mean, you know, Richard Littlejohn in the Daily Mail already um, 
you know, was writing horrible columns about trans teachers 10 years ago. Um, and there was a um, there was a trans teacher who was driven to suicide by Richard Littlejohn columns 10 years ago. And this was before, you know, this was before most of the mainstream media went full turf and this was before all of this happened. So, like, they clearly want it and they've wanted it for years. Um, but it's... This is just the government saying, yes, we see you, we hear you, we're listening. Um, and the fact that it's... A few people have raised um, the question, why is it snuck into such apparently unimportant guidance? Why is it, you know, section 46B of PSHE guidance? And I feel like they're testing it. I feel like they're trying to see how people react and what happens. Um, without it having any actual... Well, without it having, without them having to do much, because they don't have to actually do much, they can just release it into the world and it will kind of have the effects that they want. I mean, we'll go straight to Toby Young, to the Free Speech Union, won't we? Yeah. He'll, he'll, he'll let us in, invite us in with open arms. It's, uh, yeah, I think that's an interesting point, I suppose, because um, I'm, I'm primary, um, so where capitalism or anti-capitalism might fit into uh, PSHE in general, um, uh, yeah, it's something I've, I've never really thought about before and I don't know that it necessarily does, um, but but maybe I'm wrong. I do, I do realise that, yeah, uh, capitalism... Well, um, organisations that have an anti-capitalist stance in one way or another, or to one, one degree or another, um, obviously do exist and make resources for um education across the board but is it a sort of starting off with a no anti-capitalism in a place where it almost doesn't fit or or fits quite loosely um as testing the water to see where they can pop it in like in places that it is a lot more relevant like with with the history curriculums and things like that i don't know like that was that was what I thought, yeah. yeah. Um, that was my read on it because I'm um, I teach in an SEN school, like I said, and my students are um, key stage three. But the kind of curriculum level they're working at, most of the materials I use are um, aimed at mainstream early years. So similarly, like I'm not like I'm not handing out revolutionary communist literature to them um because they can't read it yet um yeah. but um but it, i think it's a similar thing of like if they're saying that you can't have speakers in schools who belong to any organization that is anti-capitalist um then it's not a big jump to say well if you can't have speakers like that why can you have teachers who belong to anti-capitalist organizations um and it would be really easy, I think. This is where I think the sort of right-wing uh, right press and right-wing hate mobs and things come into it because it would be really easy to make the jump from saying, you know, this teacher belongs to an organisation that wouldn't be allowed to come in and give talks, but she's with her class five hours a day. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the... Like you said, it, it's, it's shoving it in somewhere where it's not going to have that much impact to kind of, yeah, test the potential impact and ramp it up, I think. 
I was just saying it also reminds me of not not this come out yet, but the sort of thing when people say, oh, fascists and anti-fascists or anti-fa, which they say. I think almost like anti-fa's call themselves anti-fa, but like, well, no, I say I say that like it's an organisation, but people who you know um, prescribe to anti-fascism have sort of called it anti-fa, but that's kind of lost the the meaning of the name, like the fascists. Like so some people might know anti-fa, but not know or Antifa, and, but not know it's anti-fascism. And then when they say, oh, anti-fascism and fascism, are just they're just as bad as each other. And it's kind of like, they're not, though, are they? <laughs> like, we need um, an anti-anti-fascism, don't we? That's ab- absolutely. <laughs> or an anti you know, just to kind of, just why can't we all just get along, but, but allow both of these sides to exist, and, but also hopefully not do anything. Like... Yeah, that that sort of attitude is just sort of, um, or sort of belief, I guess, is is raring to go. I think in the next round of guidance, and it's it's very similar to prevent and and what prevents already established. When, like, I don't know about you folks, but when when I've had prevent training, it's been kind of, you know, the person giving it will say, and you know, don't forget, it's for right wing extremism too. <laughs> And, like, with the two on the end, as if to be like, oh, we all know it's basically about Muslims, but don't forget it's also sometimes about gammons. Um, And, like, yeah, I I feel like it's a very similar thing of, like, there is plausible deniability to be able to say, like, oh, it's about all forms of extremism that's, like, just, just plausible enough that maybe some liberals will fall for it. Um, While at the same time, it's extremely clear who they mean. Yeah, I mean, um, the thing that resonates strongly with me in this discussion is that um, to people outside education, they might not have as great a sense of the ambient level of fear that there is generally just to being a teacher um, to the extent to which like Ofsted and uh, you know, the relationship between that government agency, the DfE and our managers is is one of um, almost, um, what do they call it, like... Um, functional radicalism the idea that the system kind of accelerates itself because uh, each each component tries to outdo the other um and it, 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 i guess my concern um with this is that um you know like it, it's this guidance concerns the pshe curriculum but it's designed to complement what they've achieved with the exam system generally in that in so few subjects do you approach like a a stage of sort of critical reasoning or systems evaluation Um, like even in the history GCSE which is a tough GCSE they've put so much factual content in it we barely get time to sort of consider the the philosophical or or analytical questions of that history so so for me like this latest guidance they're sort of circling that square they're sort of saying well this will finish the job there'll be fuck all advanced things or criticism or reasoning in our schools this is this is just tying up loose ends so yeah i completely agree with you about other people on in the wider left like not getting the idea that teaching is self-policing they've conditioned things over the past i don't know i guess 30 years um so that teachers are our own cops um and if you want to not be that there's so much, it's so much effort. It's so much effort in addition to your actual job. Um, you were saying at the beginning that like, we're all tired from a day of teaching. Like there's no way to, f- and we're all, we're all tired from a day of teaching and we're all using pseudonyms. And you know, it, it, that, that's kind of says it all really. Like, you know, I, I, I yeah, it, it's, 
you have to be in it to understand it, I think. Mm. And there's like a kind of, I mean, different teachers are different about how much they let on to the kids. Like I've given up trying to hide it <laughs> because I kind of feel like if, if I had kids that had a proper Tory libertarian psycho um, as their teacher, I would rather they were honest about what they were mm. rather than just presenting things as like, as fact in that way. Mm. Um, and different, I teach RE and, and different teachers are different about their beliefs as well. Like mm. some colleagues uh, are Christian and, and don't want to, don't tell the kids at all. Some colleagues are like, mm. you know, I've, I've got a very confusing philosophical position on that, that just confuses <laughs> the kids. So they stop asking me. Um, but like, but, but yeah, I don't know. Um, and like, it's interesting because I didn't mention this on our uh, NEU WhatsApp group. I was wait because you know I, I don't want to out myself as the person that's most scared by it. But mm. um, but it's interesting. Like another another teacher just mentioned it and was just like, "This is ridiculous." And the conversation that came out of it was like freedom of speech. Like how are you supposed to teach these things properly if you if you're worried about all this kind of stuff? Mm. Um, so I think it will have wider like resonance apart from the actual like you know the vanguard like ourselves, like other teachers see how they see this for what it is. But I guess the idea is like, what do you, what do you do about it? What's the, what's the solution? What- yeah. Um, well, that might be a good point to mention, actually. Um, a group that I'm involved with, the uh, Coalition of Anti-Racist Educators, um, who are a group that have come out of No More Exclusions. I don't know if you know about them. Oh, yeah. Um, so CARE, so C-A-R-E, are... Um, challenging well I, th- I think there's a few different groups that want to do it but i think care got there first are um legally challenging the government on the basis that this guidance is unlawful um on a few different on a few different grounds but um the the draft letter seem the, the draft letter is kind of i've seen it and it's really cool and i probably shouldn't say too much about it but um yeah so they're cr- they're crowdfunding to um pay for the legal um team to make that happen so if people are listening and you know terrified about encroaching fascism then chuck some money to that crowd funder that would really help yeah th- uh, is it the the black educators alliance as yeah, well Black educators alliance and care that's right yeah, yeah. oh sorry that yeah we'll, we'll make sure that's in the description and um and push it and um we could probably give some union money to it can we i don't know we could pass it through our i'm asking lee but we could i don't see why not i remain very optimistic yeah yeah um i mean any 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 other ideas how this could be challenged i mean what we do i feel like there's the immediate thing which is like stop this particular guidance and then there's try and fight in general the general that i really like the ambient atmosphere of fear um that you used um as a descriptor i think we should be trying to challenge that and trying to make space for i don't know to just teach us to be people um because it feels like the only teachers that get to be people are right wing runs um who get to pretend that they're neutral um yeah and i feel really conflicted about it because you know i'm i'm there on twitter with a pseudonym anonymous account and a boring normie teacher account and if i were really kind of living that i would be able to merge the two but like I'm not senior enough and I can't afford to get fired. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it is a weird... I wonder, I wonder like, whether... Like, obviously, again, saying this for a primary, um, it's not really something that would, would hit home at all. But if you were to just show the guidance, you're allowed to just show the guidance and be like, 
that's weird, isn't it? Anyway, I'm going to follow that guidance, but mm, really? Okay. So we'll continue on with our PSHE lesson and we won't break the guidance, I guess. But um, guidance is is an interesting um, thing, isn't it? Let's move on. Yeah, I have I have done exactly that last week. I just I made a PSHE lesson of the guidance and I was just yeah. I mean it was a half hour registration session, but I thought I'd start as I mean to go on by absolutely poking them in the eye. Yeah. That's my that's my British values lesson is just absolutely lampoon the idea that that concept makes any sense whatsoever. Um yeah. My friend um, who works in post 16 um and is a comrade um got themselves on the um like committee for reviewing how they implemented prevent um basically in order to kind of sabotage it as much as possible <laughs> um which is something that as in in their setting they did this not not at a national level because I think that would be a bit gross but it, it, to the extent that these things have to be implemented in our schools, I guess we can kind of get in there and try and sabotage them. Um, I, guess, um, I guess one way of doing it is kind of education with staff as well, to be honest, and um, which I think needs to happen around racism. Like even people that aren't, um, you know, who wouldn't consider themselves to be racist, they're not yet anti-racists, are they? And actually they're kind of like doing some kind of CPD with the union group in the school about like structural racism and here's some 10 things that Churchill said and that, that kind yeah. of stuff. But I think possibly around, around capitalism as well, actually, because yeah. they don't necessarily understand the difference, you know, the, the, the general like awareness of what the terms actually mean and what socialists or communists might want is quite weak. And like um, a kid in my school, um, quite a funny kid, uh, started bringing in like walking, started walking around like reading quite big sci-fi books and things like that. And uh, when he came to parents' evening, he brought in a copy of the Communist Manifesto and was sat down reading it. And uh, a member of staff reported him to prevent. Now, he had said some pretty outrageous stuff in the past about how much he hated people at school. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not saying it was out of nowhere. But at the same time, you know, that's, that's, if I'd seen it, I saw him read that and I was like, sound, you know, cool. That's a hard book to read, like, fair enough. Yeah. You know, wicked. Um, but for another member of staff, they're like, oh, my God. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, perhaps that might that might help to kind of soften, soften people up. It's also uh, about kind of what counts as political and what counts as apolitical and neutral and normal. And I saw one of the... Um, have you seen this uh, campaign for common sense Twitter account going around? Um, uh, I think it's run by um, everyone's favourite failed Tory candidate, Mark Lahane. Um it's a, just a reactionary kind of, you know, one of these things. Um, and that account was saying, um, you know, being ha- happy about the guidance and was saying, you know, it, it's like these people, and by these people he means leftist educators, didn't realise they had to be impartial and now they do and now they're being taught a lesson, um, which I thought was really fascinating because, like, does he think he's being impartial? Did the, did the right wing of education really think that they are being impartial? Um, they're being allowed to, they're being allowed to claim that they are. Um, but all they get about education is attack lines in in the mail, isn't it? Like in with the um, when we managed to keep the schools closed because uh, they weren't safe. The attack line in the mail was like full page spread of all these people who you don't even know who they are because you're involved in the NEU's internal stuff like us. And then they go. Then they went into like detail about their political pasts that I didn't even know. There were like mm. some people who were like, "Oh, they're ATL. Oh, they're, they're Corbynites. Oh, 
cool. I like them more now. But like, mm-hmm. if you're just, um, you know, if you don't know anything about unions, which those people don't, and you're just seeing this kind of list of like Corbyn momentum, and then those fire off little aggressive neurons in your head, and you, you're kind mm-hmm. of spewing with this bile, and then you kind of think back about the um, the red, the red planet, the blob michael gove thing yeah 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 which kind of just like sums it up but yeah i think I, this is kind of what i want to get from the the labor party in some way but I, you know it's like Ooh. again it's screaming into the void but like <laughs> it'd be very easy for them to say there are already rules on impartiality for teachers yeah we support teacher autonomy um we support freedom of speech more than you do because yeah. we allow these things yeah that, that's it you could do that kill that kind of dead um shore up a bit of bit of support and stuff but um they're just not gonna do that they're just gonna ignore it i think um any other ideas on how we do like let's say if uh, a teacher in one of our schools got you know was starting to get raked over the coals for it what could we what could we do to support them i mean I do feel like in a way they have the DFE kind of have over, overstepped a little bit in that I don't think they realise how much this would upset the teachers who are quite liberal because of the freedom of speech aspect. And I, I think that's probably the most strategic thing to push. Um, but otherwise, I don't know. Um, a lot of my commentary is just, I feel like we need to understand this before we do anything. But I haven't... I can't say that my I myself have moved past the getting my head around it phase. Um, yeah, I'm sort of trying to play it through in my own head, maybe because I'm terrified. Uh, yeah, but uh, I sort of think I think a union group would come out in support of a teacher that was was raked over it. That'd be really exactly. easy. And I, and I actually yeah. think I actually was thinking as well. I was thinking of some people in the union who are quite outspoken and on Twitter and they use their real names and they're proper. You know, in, in response to this guidance, they went here is my desire to overthrow capitalism with their like yes. actual name that he's as a teacher. Yes. And I was thinking if those kinds of teachers got uh, like done for that, there'd be kids out. There'd be kids on the picket lines with them. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. It's like the teachers that actually kind of show kids like, this is the world you live in and things aren't, you know, you're being lied to and yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. all bullshit. They'll, the kids will come out and support those teachers and, and therefore you've got a bit of community support. So like in terms of individual things, I think actually, if you've got it's like with anything if you've got a union group behind you and you can work together you're actually kind of fine um but the general laziness and short-sightedness from slt will be a problem yeah this is where we really need solidarity um from people you know people with bigger names and people who you know can say this kind of thing without risking getting fired or you know even who might risk getting fired but who you know would have the financial means to cope with that if that were the case we need people ready to actually put themselves on the line because a lot of us can't yeah i was also thinking about that the neu could provide some resources that were like really useful on black lives matter and then try and push them out and then schools would push back and then we'd push back again and win in some way because they'll definitely try and discredit unions in that way but and then and then all the resource packs that are used as well they'll try and get those thrown out but it was kind of like is it worth trying to piss them off to do our own show trial possibly not yet we're not strong enough well, can you can you funnel resources like is it you know send resources through the back door so they go you know they're made by um, black lives matter for example um, um get, just found them outside the school and we yeah. them in. We don't know who made them 
And he's rifling through their own bins and they find these resources and they pop them online and they don't know where they came from. <laughs> and they look like some BLM uh, resources and that's just a coincidence. <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah, invite Michael Rosen to a, like a, some kind of big Matt, Matt-wide, multi-academy trust-wide conference. Like get this big speaker to come up and do like a whole workshop on literacy and poetry. And then his first line is like, fuck capitalism. <laughs> uh, and then he gets escorted out and then like you could have this whole fine kind of thing like that that'd be amazing like the um you know when um jamie oliver did his healthy school dinners for the first time and then there were all those news pictures of like mums handing burgers through the school railings yeah just like that but with copies of the communist manifesto, manifesto. yeah and mao's little red book and <laughs> michael rosen poems and all that kind of stuff yeah. the thing is like as i said before the kids in my class can't read most of them and like most of my lessons are like most of what I'm teaching is you know be nice to your friends talk to people don't hurt people be kind um and so a lot of that is like I I feel like I'm doing that from quite a political angle um and according to the guidance kind of you know you're meant to provide a sort of politically balanced counter narrative to whatever to any kind of narrative you give so I feel like really strictly i should also be saying to the kids like you know fuck your friends they're shit like fight them <laughs> well no yeah yeah or you go if you're all really selfish yeah if you're all equally selfish then it'll all be fine for all of you yeah exactly and like i'm not going to provide any of you with any adjustments ever because that wouldn't be fair on any of you so <laughs> sorry you can't have a wheelchair anymore like you know pull yourself up Exactly, exactly. Um, but this is, I guess this is what I'm trying to get at about like what's political and what isn't because like to me, telling them to be kind to each other is deeply political, but. No, and, and, and I think the, the sort of most personal solution to this, this, you know, to this problem that we're discussing in terms of the role of the government in our lives is just to carry yourself with a calculated defiance. You know, don't, don't put your head on the chopping block, but in terms of like, you know, we talk a lot uh, in, in some of our sessions, we probably talked on the podcast, like about how you can kind of embody those values in a way that is not necessarily curricular, but is just the general approach to everything. Um, you know, and, and, and so y- y- the rebellion starts with you and just how you conduct yourself in terms of the things you you politically emphasize in your institution. I mean, it, you know, I, I help run a sick form, so it's probably easier for me to do this explicitly. But, um, you know, and I'm I'm... I, I would love to see the court case or the industrial tribunal where they picked your lesson apart. You know, if you tried to sort of, you know, like, oh, why don't we look at Extinction Rebellion? Because maybe we should do a sort of, you know, uh, pros and cons, you know, what, what, do people, what do different people think? It would be a completely sort of um, distanced analysis where you're encouraging kids to come to their own conclusions about it. I'd love to see them try and point to that in a tribunal and say that that's indoctrination because they, they're going to have to subvert the meaning of fundamental like language itself if they're going to make that stick enough to cost someone their job so you know and like i say it links back to the support you get off your colleagues and and the, the union is the best vehicle for doing that um so i mean and did you have you said anything because all i've seen it like nationally from the neu is there's like one press release about it which doesn't seem too worried about mm. it um i mean how do you uh, how do you feel about that yeah i mean 
I'm an NEU member. It seems like you folks are a bit more active as organisers than I am. So, like, I don't want to just be unproductively angry, but, like, I really felt that that press release didn't go far enough. Um, I mean, I, I understand why they wanted to focus on the fact that it doesn't appear to be fully statutory or it appears to be ambiguous about whether or not it's statutory. Um, but I feel like in a lot of ways that's missing the point. Um, firstly, because if it's not statutory, it sure as hell is pretending to be um, because, you know, words like schools must not under any circumstances definitely <clears throat> feel like they're posturing as statutory um, and that wasn't addressed. Um, and then also, you know, everything we've already been talking about, about the fact that, you know, this is going to become, this is going to filter down into school development policies and it's going to filter down into, you know, local authority level kind of PSHE guidance. And it's going to filter down in ways that a kind of statutory, non-statutory binary doesn't account for. Um, and I feel like it really didn't address that sufficiently and it didn't address it sufficiently as a as what it is, which is an ideological attack um, with, you know, specifically racist implications. So me, um, my feeling on that is that um, it will come up at conference next year and it will be quite a big thing and there will be uh, potential, depending on how things, how far things slide by then, there'll be a whole unit on that um, about, you know, promising to defend, defend teachers who are pushed by it and things like that. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, the approach, I guess, if you go, here's an issue in education, what's the union done about this? You know, that's kind of the way members go. Like, we need to move away from that because we can't just rely on the people at the top to do everything. But um, yeah. you are yeah. right. You do need the people at the top to kind of, to be, you know, we've seen it with the Labour Party, haven't we? Like, obviously, yeah. the, the grassroots movements are the ones that do everything. But yeah. if they've got support, if they've got like a headwind from the top, it, it's so much mm -hmm. easier, you make so much ground. But if the top is not prepared to support you, everything is 10 times harder. Um, so I guess, yeah. uh, yeah, we need to be writing motions and passing motions in our committees and leaning on our executive members to, to push that stuff further up the top, I guess. Um, yeah. So I guess one other thing is just, um, how for me personally, I'm sort of exempt from a lot of this because I teach in an SEN school and, um, the government just basically doesn't really give a shit what happens in SEN schools. You're kind of left to your own devices a lot, um, which means that I can get away with a lot more, um, which is great um, when it comes to things like this. Um, it's not so good for when things like COVID happen and the government doesn't have a clue how special schools work and you're just left to your own devices. Can you tell us a little bit more then about what it's like um, in a special school at, at the moment? Yeah, so um, we never closed. Um, which was uh, particularly infuriating when, you know, the the tabloids were yelling, you know, about all the lazy teachers yeah. at home, which is, was obviously unfair on all teachers, but, you know, for uh, we were still going out to work every day, which it felt particularly galling. Um, so, yeah, we never closed. Um, we stayed open for kind of a core group of students that kind of gradually increased over time because families started to really, really struggle um, over the lockdown period, as you can imagine, um, social services kind of basically all collapsed. Um, all the social workers just started doing Zoom only, um, which when families have kind of bespoke care packages built up around their child's needs, all of that just suddenly disappeared. So school was one of the few things that stayed open. 
Um, so that was really like, it was really, I mean, I know that it was emotionally taxing for everybody, but it was a really, really intense time. Um, and at to, although to be honest, when we had half the school in, it was kind of okay because we could keep enough distance. We could, you know, go to separate ends of the school. We could spend loads of time outside. Um, it was kind of all right. And it, I think if the government had allowed us to continue gradually phasing back in, um, I think we would have been okay. Um, but as it is, you know, we've been told to have everyone back in. Um, we have kids who, you know, don't know what coronavirus is. Um, you know, maybe are not verbal um, and don't have the understanding skills to, you know, literally just to conceptually grasp, you know, there's a virus and we have to do this not to spread it. Um, you know, some of our kids can't understand that. So um, there's a there's a real gap between kind of what the what the government says we should be doing and what's actually possible. And that's true in all schools. But um it's very, very, very marked in, in an SEN setting. You say you'd already had to close? Yeah, um, my bubble, um, which is three classes joined together, have already had to isolate. And um, that, that was really, really hard. And um, kind of, as I was saying um, before the holidays, when we were at reduced capacity and we were prioritising the kids who really, really needed some form of provision, we didn't have any cases. Um, and now we're back full time and, you know, we're heading towards a second wave and we had a case in the second week um, and the pod had to go down. And when the, sorry, pod bubble, we're using interchangeably, <clears throat> um, but it's a group of three classes, essentially. And uh, but when that happened, you know, these kids all had to stay in their houses for two weeks and not leave the house, um, which, you know, you imagine for an autistic child with a learning disability who can't understand why they can't leave the house that's incredibly difficult. Um, and if we'd just been allowed to carry on phasing back in slowly, you know, those kids would have been able to keep going to school one or two days a week and not had to, wouldn't have had to go through that. So it's, it's, it's really, I know we're all kind of in settings where we feel like we're making the best of a absolute shit show, but um, in SEN it's particularly, <laughs> particularly marked. Is that, is that any like, I mean, how much can the school do in terms of supporting those families when they're when they're locked down for two weeks, or, or um, do they just kind of step back? Well, I it was left kind of down to class teachers really. And um, one of the great things about special uh, schools is broadly there's a lot more teacher autonomy, um, and so I had the autonomy basically to do whatever home learning I wanted for my class, um, whatever I judged appropriate. We didn't have to use any you know, um, rigid online system or anything like that, that I know a lot of mainstream schools um, had to do in lockdown. So, you know, I was Zooming the kids twice a day, um, you know, talking individually to parents. Um, we, we can, we are slightly better positioned to support because we have smaller class sizes and things like that. Um, but it, it was really, really hard for them. I mean, as well, on top of that, like, just kind of like poverty and, and, um, Dealing, dealing with that, mm. were, there, were there any, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, are you sort of aware of sort of families that just really, really struggled in that time and was the, were they kind of, I don't know, what would even kick in then, like social services or services. something, I don't know. Yeah, there was some, social services didn't really seem to do an awful lot um, from what I can tell. They seemed to, 
yeah, as I said, just do like Zoom appointments with kids, which didn't seem to help a great deal. I mean, our schools that started um, distributing food boxes um, okay. because the, I mean, the, I don't know if you um, would have talked about the free school meals fiasco at the time, but, um, you know, the thing with the vouchers um, that didn't come through. Yeah. Um, so I think we were funding sort of Tesco vouchers from the school's own budget, just kind of hoping at some point we would be able to get reimbursed for them. Um, but it's also that, I mean, for all families, there would have been costs, you know, for food and utilities and that from having the kids at home all the time. Um, but lots of the families of the kids I teach um, use personal assistants and carers outside of school hours as well. Um, so, you know, they employ people to take their kids out, give the parents a respite, all of that kind of thing. Um, and all of that disappeared in lockdown and when it started to come back um when the kids weren't at school the parents were having to use up all of their social services budget just on respite care just so they could keep going um and you know once they'd used up their social services hours then kind of fund it from their own money um and if they didn't have money for that then they couldn't do it so it sharpened a lot of um inequalities there cool thanks for that that's really um interesting we don't really talk enough about um special ed and stuff on the pod and it it just seems like a different world sometimes uh, would you ever come and teach in a secondary school um no way absolutely <laughs> no i would never i i did my pgc in mainstream and i because i didn't know that there were sen only training routes and i didn't like it and it didn't like me um i kept getting <laughs> i kept getting rejected from jobs because they said i was um one one head teacher actually said that I was too eccentric and quote potentially a bit of a wild card um (laughs) (laughs) so I did a yeah and then I got the first job I applied for in an SEN school um and it felt like that yeah it is it is kind of a little corner where you can kind of do what you want a little bit um but uh, yeah as we've just been discussing that kind of has its massive downsides when you know there's a global health crisis Okay, I think that is probably a wrap. Um, any kind of closing closing words there, Em? Or? Um, please support the care action. Um, please read, I can, I'll send through some articles, but um, please read the critiques of this guidance that are focused on anti-racism and trans activism and things like that, rather than just... Um, yeah, it's not just about celebrity white leftists. <laughs> um, yeah, you've been a great guest, actually. You might have to come and pick your brains about, about some other stuff in the in the future. We don't get enough other teachers on. Thanks, so, it's been um, really nice. Um, I, I, I don't know about you, but I always get that exci- excitement when you find other lefty teachers that you didn't previously know. Um, yeah, you've got, got to come along to some... Uh, when we get some NEU conferences, we'll, we'll have to meet up. Right, Okay. Do we need to end that? Because you'll just cut that out, Lee. Yeah. And it'll go back into the other bit, won't it? Yeah. Should we say bye or? Yeah, for our own psychological health. <laughs> um, this this isn't a cue to like log off straight oh, away. That's, what, that's what I thought you were doing. It's going to be a hard no, track. No, 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 no. Fade, fades to black. <laughs> Don't you need a bit to end that segment? I, gu- I guess, yeah, because we should, we should let him say goodbye at the very least. <laughs> Just make everyone think that you murdered me or something. Get rid of her. Independent thought alarm. She criticised she criticized Big Kevin Mary. She's got to go. 
No, we are we are pro union critique. That is why this is not a union branded podcast. We will we will say when we have fallen short. Oh yes. Just cut to static and then leave people guessing what's happened to me. <laughs> you could just go M M. Are you there? <laughs> All right, M. Uh, thanks again for uh, coming and uh, spending some time with us. Uh, have a good day tomorrow or whenever your next uh, whenever your next teaching. See You're you soon. welcome. It was great to talk to you. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Requires Improvement. I've been your host, Charlie, and I've been joined by Lee, Lauren, and later on, Nick, to do our interview. Rate us and share on any way you get podcasts. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at requirespod. Uh, we really appreciate your support, and hopefully you keep on listening. So thank you, and bye.